If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're continuing the series, The Afterlife. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain times in my life, or there has been certain times in my life, maybe it's things I'm dealing with, maybe it's news I've received, and I think many of you are in the same boat, in which you become a little more homesick for this place we called heaven. You know, when you look at this world, and I think many of us are probably concerned with what we see in this world and what we see here in our nation and all the different things that are going on, all the chaos that appears to be surrounding us. And then we deal with the issues of our families, and then we, some of us deal with the issues of our bodies and the relationships that we have. It just makes us homesick, or it should. The Bible says, I mean, look at the introduction on your outline. The scriptures indicate that everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected and will live for eternity. My prayer for you here today is that that, that we know we're going to be resurrected, but my prayer for you is that when you're resurrected, that heaven will be your eternal home. And, and so right now, what I want to do is we've looked at two other weeks in June, and then we'll look three more weeks here in July. I want us to, today to focus on the people of heaven. What's, what's heaven really going to be like? Uh, we described it in, in two weeks previous. And, and today, now I want us to focus on the people of heaven, heaven uh, our heavenly bodies, the relationships that we'll have. Have you ever wondered about that? What our bodies will be like? What will our relationships look like? So look on your outline. How will bodies be different after the resurrection? How will they be different? Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I finally have the perfect body. Will will that actually take place? I mean, think about it. The most beautiful person you've ever seen is under the curse. Think about that. The most beautiful person you've ever seen is under the curse. I happen to believe that if you were to go back to the Garden of Eden and could have walked up on Adam and Eve, you would have saw the most two most beautiful human beings you've ever seen who were not touched by the curse. You see, Eve didn't have to go behind a tree to touch up her makeup whenever she wanted to approach Adam or whatever. None of that. Ladies, there's no need for makeup in heaven. How can I get a hallelujah, amen, and all that? Yeah, there you go. No hair coloring. No, I mean, the guys, we don't have to worry about what we're losing. I mean, everything is going to be different. These bodies will be different. We get our clues. When it comes to these resurrected bodies, we get our clues about a resurrected body from Jesus during the 40 days he walked the earth after his resurrection. Do you remember that time? 40 days between his resurrection and when he, when he ascended back to heaven. There are clues that he left us that tell us a little bit about what these bodies are going to be like. And what's interesting, we have a whole chapter that seems to be dedicated to it also. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, let me give you a footnote. A principle is given as it relates to the transition of the body from its present reality to its future reality. There's something that has to take place. There's a principle that takes place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 35. It says, but someone will say, now Paul wrote this, and he's given anticipatory questions. He's, he's saying, I know some of you are going to ask these things. And here's what he says. How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? 
So he's basically anticipating questions that may come from those that he's writing to. And, and so the question is, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? What would the bodies be like? Look at what he says in verse 36. He says, foolish ones. Now, the word foolish, when, he, when someone's called foolish in this context, it means those who have no basic understanding of the subject. And so basically, he's saying you're, you, don't, you, you don't have any basic understanding. And then he says this, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Now, of course, he's referring to seed. We know that. He's referring to the whole idea of transition from life to death to life. Verse 37, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. Now, what he's talking about, he's talking about something that, that seems to have life's potential. It is planted. When it is planted, it looks a certain way. But when it is resurrected, or excuse me, when it comes alive, it looks different. There's something different about it. It's the same thing. It comes from the same substance of life, but there is something that is different. There's a principle here, he's saying. Verse 37, what you sow, what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be. There's potential there, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it as a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. Now, what he's doing, he's explaining God's natural process of going from the heavenly body, excuse me, going from the earthly body to the heavenly body. And he's using this terminology that they would have understood. Again, he, he's, what Paul is addressing here, he's telling them something that's out of this world, and he's doing just like John did. He's trying to use the things of this world to explain it, and that's what he's trying to do. So how, were, how will bodies be different after the resurrection? First of all, there's a different dimension, a different dimension. We know that something must die before it is raised, but then when it's raised, tell me a little bit about what that looks like. Well, he does in verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Now, Paul, in these verses is making a comparison between earthly bodies, the creatures on the earth, and heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. To, to the changes, he's making this comparison to the changes our bodies will make from earthly bodies to heavenly bodies. Now, how do we know this? Because of what he says in 1 Corinthians verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. He's making a comparison. There's no doubt he's making a comparison here. Now, now, what is he saying? Paul uses two words to describe the difference when it comes to these bodies and their dimension. First of all, you have the present, what we're living in right now. It is a terrestrial body. It's natural. It's prone to weakness. It's prone to death. Those things are, are what that looks like. That's the present in which we're living. But then there's the future, a celestial body. It speaks of the spiritual it speaks of a different dynamic, a different dimension. So the difference, can, I believe, can be best seen in John chapter 6. Look here on the screen. 
Now, when evening came, his disciples, many of you remember the story, his disciple, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the, over the sea toward Capernaum. As it was already dark, and when the and Jesus had not come to them. They're out there in the sea. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And then look at this. This is key too. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Thus we can tell from geography, they were out in the middle of that sea, the Galilee. Sea of Galilee is really what we're talking about here. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking on the water. And then when, when all the things start taking shape, all of a sudden, they're in the middle of the, of the sea. Now, where are they? They're on the shore. Now, what just took place here? Jesus annihilated both time and distance. It appears that our resurrected bodies will not have the limitations our bodies have now. And it's the whole idea from a fleshly body, a natural body, to a glorified body, to a spiritual body. There is something different dimensionally about these bodies. And it's a clue that we have about the body we will, once, we will have in the future. Next, how will bodies be different after the resurrection? A different destiny. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 42. So also is a resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. Y'all, that is a big deal. A body full of corruption. Do you know what happens to a body full of corruption? It dies. It, it dissipates. It, 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 it degenerates. That's what happens. How many of you know that from, from, from what you're living? <laughs> Every one of us are dealing with it. Every one of us is talking about the, the body that is sown in corruption, but it's going to be raised incorruptible. Look at, so look on your outline. You have the present is a body destined for the grave. Let me, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you are glad that you don't have to drag this old body around for eternity? Yeah. So this is merciful. Trust me. <laughs> It's merciful to lay this body down. But there's a future, a body destined for glory. It will no longer be corrupt. It will not have any tinge of, of corruption in it. Paul tells us in Philippians that he is uh, in prison, possibly facing death. If set free, he had plans to go to Spain to evangelize and start more churches. But then he tells the Philippian church he had just soon die. He said, you see, here's what we need to understand. You see, Paul had an experience unlike most of us. Paul records that at one time he'd been caught up into the third heaven. We know the third heaven to be heaven itself, the throne room of God. He, he, he had seen things that were untranslatable. That means there were things that he saw that he couldn't put words to. It appears that after this encounter with heaven... Paul always had a desire to leave this present reality. Now, I don't know that many of us in this room have ever had a glimpse of heaven, but Paul did. And let me tell you something about his glimpse. After he got a glimpse of it, that's all he thought about wanting to go to. How many of you say that that's a good sign about what the future looks like for those in Christ? That's a good sign. And so Paul writes, he says in Philippians 1.23, For I am hard-pressed having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
He's left with two things. I can stay here and suffer the persecution and the beatings I've been taking for the cause of Christ. That's a good thing. It's for your good that I stay and help out with that. But you know something? My heart's really somewhere else. I'd like to be in heaven. You know why? I've actually seen it. After catching a glimpse of heaven, Paul desired heaven. Next, how will bodies be different after the resurrection? Of course, there's a different dress. In verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in honor. You see, the present is right now. The present is a dress of dishonor. We live in a body that fails us. How many of you have noticed that? Now, some of you young whippersnappers, I look around here, some of you in your 20s, you don't have a clue what we're talking about, but it, it happens, okay? They're, those bodies you think are all, they're going to fail you at some point. It's going to be difficult at times. So, so some of you are like, well, thanks for the great, never mind, the great idea about the future. But anyway, we know what we're talking about. So there's a present, a dress of dishonor, but there's a future, a dress of honor. Guess what that means? A body that won't let us down. The best illustration of this, and I've given you this before with other sermons. How many of you have noticed that sometimes God's creation puts uh, a picture to sometimes good theology. Now, you got to be careful with that. But sometimes you do have those pictures. One of the best pictures of what we're seeing right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is in nature that of a caterpillar. You remember me talking about this many years ago? Have you ever noticed how a caterpillar gets around? He, he, he bends his back in to his front end by arching his back. Now, how many of you would say... That would be pretty cool. I'd like to get around like that. None of us, would we? You're talking about a humiliating way of getting around, a painful way of getting around. But that's, that's the circumstance he is. Guess what? Our bodies are not much different. <laughs> if we, if, I believe if the angels looked down at us and saw what we were dealing with in these bodies, he, even they would say, bless their heart. But can you imagine how the caterpillar feels as he looks up and sees the butterfly fly? Can you imagine? Little rascal down there doing the best he can to get around. He looks up. He's like, man, that is pretty cool up there. I'd love to be that. Can you imagine how you feel? Oh, I wish I could fly. If I only had wings, I could fly from flower to flower, from tree to tree. But I'm a lowly, wretched grub. How many of you feel like a grub this morning? That's what he probably feels. And so then one day something starts to happen. He realizes his life as a caterpillar is coming to an end. So he builds himself a little coffin, a little coffin. He crawls inside and dies to the only life he's ever known. There, the caterpillar lies on the underside of a twig in his coffin when something starts to happen. He is being changed. Then he emerges out of his coffin. He goes in as a caterpillar. But guess what? He's going to come out as a butterfly. I mean, it's a beautiful picture here. Note, he's the same creature that comes out that went in. He has been changed. He has been transformed. He spreads his wings and soars through the sky. The caterpillar was sown in dishonor, but raised in honor. Y'all, this is a beautiful picture of what's going to happen to us 
as we translate from this life to the next, from this body to the next body. Next, how will bodies be different after the resurrection? Well, there's a different disposition. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 43, the second part. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now, here's the present situation. We have a body of weakness. Again, is that true? Yeah, it is. But future, we have a body of power. Let me, let me give you some examples. Do you remember when Jesus and three of his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane? Just before the guards were to come to arrest Jesus to be crucified. We're talking about a night that is going to live on. He told the three disciples, you remember what he said? You wait here and pray. And he went a little further in. Three times he comes back, and how did he find them? Asleep. Do you remember what Jesus said at that moment? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you realize that there's a spirit within us that is willing, but has limitations of this body? Do you realize that? That's what Jesus is saying right there. He he put his finger on it. There's a spirit within us that is limited by what the body can actually do. And we see this. So this is a picture of a body of weakness. Now here's an example of a body of power. Do you remember the story when Jesus had just been raised from the dead? After three days in what we call the nether regions, he comes back by the tomb to pick up his body. The body was now a part of him. The prints of the nails were there. He makes his way to the room where the disciples are gathered. And John tells us that the apostles were shut up in the room and they were fearful. The picture we have here is that Jesus seems to be standing outside the door. And the Bible goes on to say that all of a sudden he just appeared before them. Now how many of you that would be different if someone just appeared before you? That's what happened. Luke then tells us he sat down and ate with them. John tells us he then disappeared. So he appeared, had a good time of fellowship, and then he disappeared. That's a pretty impressive body, wouldn't you say? Some of you are saying, well, that's that's Jesus. He's God. Listen, the Bible gives us clues that this is the same type of body we're going to have. Pretty impressive when you think about it. It appears we'll have a body like the body of Jesus. A body of weakness traded for a body of power. Paul gives us a clear picture of this. Here's what he says in Romans, excuse me, Philippians 3. Look here on the screen. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. If you have a King James Version Bible and you look at this verse, it says, for our conversation is in heaven. Let me ask you about your conversation. Did you even converse about heaven last week? Did you even think about heaven last week? Let me just tell you what happens to many of us. This is the reason why I think it's healthy for us to preach about heaven every once in a while. It's because sometimes we lose sight of what we're living in. All of a sudden, we see the things that, that get a hold of our hearts, the things that break our hearts, the things that, of this world that, that, that just seem to just burden us. And the only thing that we see are those things. And we lose sight of the fact that we're not here living for this world. We're going to be li- we're living for the world to come. This is we're just passing through. And so the conversation he says he's basically saying our conversation should should be about heaven. When we face the burdens, when we face disappointment, when we face hurt, when we face the weaknesses of this body, we need to look for something further along. That be in heaven. But we lose sight of all that. 
He says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And here it is. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is even able to do all things. Basically, He says, you know something? That lowly body is going to be traded in. Let me tell you something. He's perfectly capable of pulling it off. That's what that verse is saying. And He'll handle it. A body with no more limitations No more weakness, no more pain. How will bodies be different after the resurrection? Look on your outline. There's a different dynamic. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44. It is sown a a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, being a living being, the last man, you know who that is according to Romans? That's Jesus. Natural body now. It is a body of weakness. It is a body of dishonor. It is a body that is corrupt. And it will be traded in for something else. Who makes it possible? The last Adam, Jesus Christ himself. But what in the meantime, here's the present. A body sown. It is natural. The future is a body raised that is spiritual. Now, we now have have a natural body. But one day we're going to have a spiritual body. Heaven is... Listen, it's not only a place where temptation no longer abounds. It is also inhabited with other people who have bodies that are no longer prey to the ravages of sin. Now, how many of you are like that? Can you imagine, y'all, going to a place where you don't turn on the news and see what you've seen in the last 72 hours? Can you imagine going to a place like that and not see anything close to that? To go to a place that's not in which your bodies are not prone who are falling constantly to temptation and sin and the ravages of sin and then when we get it right some of the time and if we get it right some of the time there's others out there who are not getting it right and the burdens and, and what they bring causes us pain and burden all that's going to be removed But right now in the natural, that's what we're dealing with. But there's going to come a spiritual place one day. Listen, here's another. How will bodies be different after the resurrection? A different durability. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 47. The first man was of the earth made of dust. That's Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's us right now. And and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. That's us one day. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? Jesus, the Lord. Now, this I say, brethren, and, and Paul's basically saying, here's another principle you need to pay attention to. He basically says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, it's not God up there saying, no, I'm not letting you in here. Look at you. That's not what that's saying. What that is saying is this body is not capable of enduring eternity. It's not capable of standing before a holy God face to face. Not possible. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Skip down to verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. That's what the little caterpillar went through. Something that radically changed. Basically, here's the idea of what we're reading here. 
We've got to suit up for heaven. Did you know that? We've got to suit up for heaven. Present, look on your outline, a body of mortality. Future, a body of immortality. Can you even imagine that? 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, look at what it says. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. you got to have a different body to pull that off. Benjamin Franklin, I've shared this with you before, but this was his epitaph. I thought it was very clever. The body of Franklin printer, like a cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its uh, lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. (laughs) That's not very pleasant, is it? But the work will not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition revised and corrected by the author. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, let's look at some relationship things here. What will relationships be like in heaven? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered how we're going to relate to one another in heaven? Well, look on the first one. Will we know God more intimately? You can put capital (laughs) Y-E-S. Yeah, let, let, me get, let me tell you what the Bible says. In Revelation 22, 4, it says this. They shall, see his, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. They shall see his face. Name is identification. We'll be identified with him. Flip back a couple of pages of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just a couple of pages. Here's another clue. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. That means we don't have the whole story. But when that which is perfect, okay, that's future, our eternal existence. That means we're finally complete. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, that part that's limited, will be done away with. Okay, now this is a reference to us. When I was a child, This is what Paul was saying when he says that when I was a child. He's given our present existence. Our present existence is this. We're not capable of seeing and understanding more about God and even who we truly are. We're not capable of seeing it fully. Okay, how many of you agree with that? You know there's something to that. We're not capable, not in this body. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When he's referring to child, he's talking about our earthly existence. But when I became a man, that's his heavenly existence, future existence, capable of seeing and understanding. What does it say? I put away childish things. I put those things aside. It was only part. I wasn't seeing the full thing. One day I will see it fully. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. That means our present limited disclosure of who God is. But then face-to-face, that's future, the full disclosure of God. Now, I know in part, that's present knowledge, it's limited. But then I shall know, that's future knowledge, it's unlimited, just as I also am known. Y'all, you know what these verses are saying? Our relationship with God is totally going to change when we get there. There's things that we only see partially. 
There's things that we're getting frustrated with him about here on earth that we can't understand why he's doing what he's doing. What, God, are you up to? Why? You know this is tearing my heart out. You know I can't bear anymore. I don't understand. How many of you agree we only see part of it? But one day, we're going to see the whole thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. How many of you have heard the message? It's a paraphrase, but I got to read this to you. Listen to this. He does a great job with this. Right now, we don't yet see things clearly. We are squinted. We are squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We will see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly and intimately just as he already knows us. That's the future. Next. I want to add another question here. I failed to put the question in there. I don't know why. I missed it on the outline. Here it is. Don't disregard what she has up there right now. But here it is. Will we be the same in heaven? Yes and no. No, because we will not be under the condition and curse of sin. Can you imagine a you without your insecurities and your dysfunction? Now, some of you are blinded to the... You think you don't have any. You do, trust me. I talk to you. I know you. You hear on display about every Sunday up here. I mean, can you, but can you imagine a you without your insecurities and the dysfunction that has come your way. So, no, we won't be exactly the same. And then there's a yes side to it too. Randy Alcorn, many of you have studied his, the book he wrote on heaven. He writes this, what makes you, you? It's not only your body, but also your memories, personality, traits, gifts, passions, interests, and even your preferences. He goes on to write, I believe all these facets will be present and amplified, untarnished by the curse and sin. He's saying that we will truly be the unique self that we are in heaven without sin, without the effects of the curse. How many of you are looking forward to that day? But we'll be who we are. God went, think about this, God went to a lot of trouble to create us in our uniqueness for it to go away for all of eternity. How many of you know a lot of unique people? <laughs> I mean that in a good way. See, you took it in a bad way. But, but yeah, we're all unique. We're all different. Here's another question. Will we know each other? Yes. Mainly because of what was just the question before. The disciples eventually recognized Christ as, after his resurrection. Moses and Elijah, the Mount of Transfiguration, needed no introduction. Somehow the three knew who they were. David, when his son died, said, you remember his infant son, when his son died, said in his grief that while his child could not come to him, one day he would go to his child. Next question. Will we, will we be united with loved ones in heaven? Yes and no. Yes, if they've come to Jesus on his terms. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 writes about our reunion with those who have died. There, there's actually almost a whole chapter dedicated to that. There's going to be a reunion. We will be known as we are, and they will be known as they are. Except a better version of what they, we are and a better version of what they are. 
How many of you are looking forward to seeing a better version of yourself? But how many of you are much more interested in seeing a better version of the other people? <laughs> we all are. And that's where it's going to happen. That's what we're going to see. Heaven is not, just worship, is not just the worship of God. Listen, it is also relationships with others. It's relational with others. God created worship, excuse me, God created relationships. And you know what he said after he created it? He says it's good. It's good. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Deep and satisfying human relationships are among God's greatest gifts. Jonathan Edwards writes this, Every Christian friend that goes before us from this world is a ransom spirit waiting to welcome us in heaven. There will be the infant that we lost below to be found above. There are the Christian father and mother, husband and wife, child and friend, with whom we shall renew our fellowship, which was interrupted by death, but no more. That's a good quote. Will there be marriage in heaven? Well, let me ask you, what, what do y'all want? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I won't. Don't, don't, don't go out. Go, never mind. Let's go on. Um, yes and no. Yes, Jesus the groom will live eternally with his bride, the church. So yeah, that part of marriage is in heaven. But when you really think about it, there's really no need for marriage in heaven. Now, some of you are inwardly going, yes. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, I'm joking. No, listen, listen to me. How, however those special, there's no need for marriage. However, those special to us on earth will be special to us in heaven. Heaven will be one great family with a heavenly father. No one will be left out. You know what the problem is in our society right now? There's a lot of people left out. There's a lot of people abandoned by spouses. There's a lot of children abandoned by parents. We won't be in a place where people are left out. Our relationships with one another, there will be special people in our life that will go on to be special to us in heaven. But, but here's what we need to understand. No one will be left out. Next, will there be different races in heaven? Of course, yes. Our race is part of who we are. All races will be present around the throne of God. The difference is that Christ died for the sin that we allow to separate us, that being racism. He died for that. That won't be in heaven, by the way. Will there be animals there? Yes. Isaiah is very clear. He says the wolf will, will lie down or dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie, lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion, the fatling together, and the child shall lead them. L listen, animals are going to be in heaven. Now, here's the question every one of you are thinking. How about pets? Put a big question mark there, okay? <laughs> Put a question mark there. Uh, two dogs that I loved when I was growing up. Frosty. I'd love to see Frosty again. Bogart, we had him for about 13 years of our, or 12 years of our life. I even had a horse. He's a pony. Many of you know his name, Johnny Cash. <laughs> I named him Johnny Cash. I'd like to see Johnny Cash because he was mean as a snake when he was here on earth. He threw me off many times. I'd like to see what he'd be. Anyway, I'm moving on. But anyway. 
Here's the real question. If pets are in heaven, here, here's some things you got to get your mind around. Do animals have souls? If so, how are they redeemed? We don't read that Christ died for the animals. I'll leave it to you. Question mark. Bottom line. Heaven will not negate what defined us as a person in heaven or in this life. Our relationships will be far greater than any of the closest relationships we have in this life. A whole new dynamic. Next, who will be in heaven? They are those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who's in heaven. Application. Are you assured that heaven will be your home in eternity? Listen, I don't know where you are today, but heaven is going to be a great place. Paul took one glimpse of it, and for the rest of his life, he couldn't wait to get there. There's loved ones that you have. One recently, Gus McIntyre. We all love Gus. He's in heaven. He took the transition. He went from natural body to a heavenly body. He went from a body of weakness and pain and sorrow to a body that does not even recognize those things. That's where he is. And you have loved ones like that too. Heaven is a great place. But listen, heaven is only yours when you come by way of Jesus Christ. There is no other salvation by which we are saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father. Guess where the Father is? He's in heaven. But by me, that's the way. I want to ask the ushers to come forward if they would. Father, we just come to you right now. and We thank you for who you are and what you represent in our lives. And Father, we thank you so much for this place called heaven. Father, I look around this room and I know the hardships many people are dealing with, health and relational. There's all kinds of things in this room. Lord, help it. Help us to get to the point where we're not so focused on those things, but we're focused on the fact that there's an eternity out there awaiting us. And if we know your son and we know him as our Lord and Savior, we've repented of our sins, placed our faith in him, then we can be assured of this place called heaven. Father, we thank you for this place. I pray if there's someone here today that's not assured that that would be their home, that before they leave here, they would talk to myself or some other pastor in this room. Lord, that, that, that they may come to know you in, in a powerful way, in a, in a real way, and that their home can be eternal with you. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for heaven. We thank you for this offering and pray you'll use it as we continue to do what you called us to do, to reach people with the gospel, to reach people and tell people about a place called heaven. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.